Taking your photo booth business from dream to riches is no easy task. We'll be talking to the pros in the biz who share their secrets to success. Welcome to How to Photo Booth. Say cheese and make dough. Now, here's your host, Jack Hartsman. Well, welcome back one and all. I am so excited to introduce you today to Wally Carnes. If you're in the photo booth industry, it's hard not to know this gentleman. If you've ever shot a green screen photo station, if you've ever pretty much been a part of digital or instant imaging anywhere in the world, you probably know Wally's name somewhere along the line. The director of operations from Darkroom Software. Wally, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Wally, I know your title is Director of Operations, and I would like to tell the people above you that your title really should be Director of Getting Things Done because you are a plethora of knowledge and experience and just one of the all-around nicest guys in the industry. And by the way, part of the criteria of being asked to be a guest on this show is you got to be a nice guy. (laughs) I'm glad I fit the qualification. I try. Darkroom Software has been backbone of our industry for... Well, I've been in digital since 96, and I think I started with Express Digital Software back about version 3.1. So, you know, the Express product- Digital, yeah, Express Digital started in 1994. So we're uh, one of the oldest pioneers in the digital imaging world. Uh, you and I have had these conversations over the years. It was, I look back on it now, 25 years ago, I kind of feel like I was ahead of my time, but it just seemed like such an intuitive program. And every day, it just seemed like it was going to they were so intuitively on top of the next thing that the industry needed from the software until it hit a wall and then hence became new ownership. I believe the correlation between, I think there's some myths that go on about imaging spectrum and darkroom software, both owned by the same people independently and outright, not parent company one to the other. Is that correct? Did I get that right? Basically, yes. Imaging spectrum was started by a retired codec tech rep. Bob Woodcheck was his name. And it's been probably, I don't know, 25 years or so ago when he started that. I don't remember exactly. But anyway, he started that and he's since retired. He's still around, comes around when we have, you know, a lunch or something. But his son now is running the company. Brian is his name. And over the years, Imaging Spectrum acquired Darkroom Software in 2010. And along with that, PhotoReflect and a few other things from Express Digital as they were going out of business. You know, we could go into that, but I won't. But anyhow, so they acquired it in 2010, resurrected it as Darkroom Software. I came around, I think in 2000, well, I've been here nine years. So that would have been 2012, I guess. So I've been here nine years, almost 10. And so, yes, it's legally, it's a separate corporation, just happens to be owned by the same guy that also owns Photo Reflect and Imaging Spectrum. Copy that. So, you know, for again, like I said in the open, people who have really had anything to do with digital imaging, you're hard pressed not to touch darkroom software somewhere along the line. And when COVID hit, you guys once again tried to anticipate and you guys kept busy. What kind of things happened to your organization during the break? And was it a reset switch? Where are you today? Where are you looking forward in 22? What are the new things? We see a new version coming out. What are the new features and what are the new things that Darkroom Software is going to be offering us in the months to come? Well, during COVID, it was a challenging time for everybody. It's very difficult for an industry, any industry that's basically outlawed to suddenly you know, continue operations. So it was a very challenging time for everybody. 
But we stayed together. We kept working. Everybody's still with us. We pioneered and worked on some products in Darkroom Booth that allow touchless photo booth, QR code reading, and so on. So that's a big part of our Darkroom Booth software now, where you can start the session, have it sent to you by email or text, a variety of other things, without actually having to touch the booth at all. And that's one great thing that we put in during COVID. We spent a great deal of time on our core and pro products during COVID, working on some things that needed to be done, some under the hood updating of code and so on that isn't flashy, isn't fancy, but it's, you know, things you got to do. Every now and then you got to paint the house. Every now and then you got to, <laughs> you know, fix the electrical or the plumbing. So we had to do some housekeeping things. And so we released 9.3 in June. And 9.3 has some pretty exciting features and some more features down the road that are coming that we're still working on. Well, as you know, my background is a professional photographer. And I, like I mentioned, starting with Express Digital, moving on to Darkroom, my core business until around 2005 was photo stations. My company, we differentiate stations and booths by with an actual photographer tripod and a camera versus a box with a camera in it. So green screen photography has been a mainstay for us for, you know, 30 years almost now, and or 25 years. And the core product has been the backbone of our company. We have used it religiously. It has fulfilled you know, everything we could have asked for. And, and Darkroom Booth then came right out and filled those same needs in the photo booth industry. Now, since you also have an iPad product, and I know that things on the Apple platform were never Darkroom's strength or wasn't weakness. You didn't have anything. Where is the iPod product gone to? The 360 booth product gone to? What are the new developments outside of Core and Darkroom Booth? Okay. iPad is an interesting story. We basically acquired another company that Hula Booth, there's no big secret. You know, we didn't try to keep that quiet or anything. Owen is the guy that that started that and he's in Australia. And Owen did a great job with a good basic start of a program, but we acquired that September, 2019, I think, and did quite a few months of work on it, still retaining Owen to do the basic work on it, but, you know, at our direction and basically me deciding what needed to go in there. And so we've made a lot of changes and updates to that program, added a lot of new features and things to that, and re-released that, unfortunately, just as COVID hit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Funny about I remember being with you at PBX the week before COVID hit, and I purchased about $30,000 of new photo booths, three or four new pieces of software. The photo booths arrived in April. That was a big help. And we basically didn't start testing the new software products until November or December. That was a lot of money invested in things collecting dust in the closet. Yeah. And, you know, just like everybody, it's hard to do a lot of research and development and, you know, buying new equipment when there's no business. But things have turned around. Our sales have increased and people are again working throughout the world. Darkroom is a global product. And so we're having a lot of, you know, returning customers and so on. But yeah, the photo booth app still has a ways to go. We know that we're not the king of the hill. And we know that we don't have all the features that everybody else has just yet, but we also don't have the price point either. Darkroom booth for iPad is a far lower price point. And so much of the market research I did talking to individuals that were using iPad softwares, when I'd say, well, what about this feature? What about that feature? They would say, well, I'm not using that right now. You know, And so we've got the majority of the core features, things that you need to operate a, just a, a general photo booth. And you know, we have those available and at a far lower price point than the big two or three names out there. 
And so we hope that that is an attraction to people. And we're seeing increases in sales on the iPad world. Darkroom Booth for Windows is still our premium product and has, you know, a lot of features that Darkroom Booth for iPad does not. Pre-COVID break, where would you put the importance of the QR code in our everyday life in the USA, whether it's in photography or outside? You know, it's sort of the impetus or the thing that pushed everybody to look into QR codes and things was COVID because you couldn't touch stuff. People didn't want to touch anything. So that was the kind of catalyst, if you want to say it, the, the thing that lit the fuse. But the reality is, even without COVID, the using the QR code at an event can dramatically speed up the line. One of the biggest complaints that we heard from a lot of customers with doing email or text messaging on the actual photo booth is the time it takes for the person to sit there and type it all in and, oh, I made a mistake. Let me back up and redo it. And, you know, they're tying up the photo booth so the next customer can't use it. The solution to that before QR codes and before COVID hit was to send them over to a station, you know, across the room somewhere where they would find their photo and text it to themselves from there. That's great, but that costs money. Usually you provided that station and everything. And so that costs money. But with QR codes, People could, with our system, they would go to a stock website that's customized to your event. So in other words, if you're offering black and white, then they would have the option of seeing black and white on the site. If you're texting but not emailing or the other way around, those options show up. And so they just choose whatever options they want, and it creates a unique custom QR code that their phone number, their you know email address, whatever is embedded in, they save it on their phone. And then throughout the night, as they go up to the photo booth, they just hold up their phone to the camera. It reads the QR code. They do the session. They walk away. There's no time taken. It's very fast, very easy. And typically, before they get 10 or 15 feet away, as long as you have internet access, it shows up on their phone and they're done. Our kids aren't that far apart in in years. My kids are in their mid and late 20s. And I remember about eight or 10 years ago when QR really started showing up in this country, my kids were, you know, end of high school and they were like, oh, dad, it's stupid. And then I went to Europe a few months later. I had a job in like 2010 or 11 and QR codes were everywhere. And you drove on the high, I was in Spain and I was driving down highways and billboards. There were billboards on the road that had QR codes big enough that you could hold up your phone and scan the QR code as you're driving at 60 or 70 miles an hour past them. And now post-COVID, my kids are saying, okay, dad, maybe we, well, maybe we kind of missed the boat on that whole QR code thing because now they can't, I mean, my business card now today, I've got a new business card. It's got my name on the front with my signature. And then you flip the back and it's got a QR code with all my data on it. And, now, and if your data changes, you change it into QR code, but you don't change the QR code. So I think the QR code has been an excellent improvement to our industry. I agree with you. I'm a guy that used to put out two touchscreen monitors at every photo booth or photo station that we did. And you know, the more you drank, the less you knew how to spell your own name and type your own phone number. And then Monday morning, you get all the fight and get my pictures, blah, blah, blah. But I agree with you, the new advancements that Darkroom Software and Core have put into the QR system has sped things up immensely just in June and July, May, June and July, that we've been back doing events again. It's been a great improvement to our system and our workflow. Yeah, it does. It's very dramatic, the speed up. So even post-COVID, when nobody cares about touching, then QR codes still have a big place. It's because I think we're all accustomed to it now. We started going back to restaurants a little bit and the restaurants don't have menus. My parents are in their mid-80s and they really have a hard time doing anything on their phone, but they figured out how to turn the camera on and hit a QR code so they can look at a menu. And if it's good enough for them there, then it's certainly going to be good enough when they're at a wedding or a bar mitzvah at a photo booth. Right. Yeah. So- 
I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, once Apple added that ability built into the iPhone, then it really exploded. Once upon a time, you'd have to download a separate app and install it and everything else. And that was a little more complicated than most people wanted to mess with. But once Apple added that into their OS, where you just point the camera, everything was great. And a lot of the new, uh, just to kind of, you know, not to take one thing away from Apple or give it to Android, but Android for a lot of the new phones, I have it built in as well. My kids are Android Apple does too. Yeah, I agree with you. It's been a great asset. And so I don't like to bring people on the show and talk about one guy's thing are better or one guy's thing not so good. Look, there's a lot of competition out there in the photo booth industry. There's a lot of different software packages that are offering face value, what Darkroom Core does and what Darkroom Booth does. How do we educate our wedding planners, our event producers, the people that are organizing parties and looking for vendors? How do we help them understand why there are certain you know, cameras that we should be using or certain softwares? Does your photographer use darkroom software versus something else? What would be some of the bullet points that you would want to tell somebody about darkroom software and why it's a better product for the event market? You know, generally speaking, darkroom, when you look at our competition, it's simpler to, to use as far as setup and everything it has built-in editors, built-in systems and everything else for allowing you to, to send things. We are about to release a new version of Darkroom Booth that will have a built-in email ability. The reason for that is so many people have difficulty setting up their own email server. You know, they'll, they'll have a lot of them want to use Gmail or Hotmail or one of the free services, and those have their struggles and problems. They're not designed for professional use, and so that's a lot of problems with getting them to work and relax their security to allow an outside program to use. Right, exactly. The relaxing the security part is what my IT people always get nervous about with our 20 photo booths. Right. Well, and what happens, they want to use the same account for all 20. And so you get 20 photo booths scattered out across the city, every one of them at a different location, different IP address. And they're all using and sending using the same account. And so what happens is Gmail looks at that and goes, oh, wait a minute, Jack's got his email address, his email account being used at 20 different places, and they're all sending big attachments, and they're all going at the same time, that, he's got to have been hacked. So let's- Well, Wally, have you been looking in the back of my phone? <laughs> have you been looking at the warning messages I get on Saturday nights at around Yeah, 7:30? so they cut off your, you know, your account because they think you've been hacked, and so that's the problem. At least use different accounts if you're going to do that. But to combat that, one of the things we did is we have put into Darkroom Booth, and it's in final testing now, will be released soon, a built-in email server so that you can still use your own if you want to, but you don't have to. Just out of the box, it'll work. You can change the reply to and the sent from so that people see you know, where you know, it looks like it's coming from you, and they, when they click reply to, they get you. But at the same time, it's a much more reliable system. It's not going to freak out when it's being used in, you know, a hundred different locations around the country all at the same time. And because for the most part, the data is not changing the to, from, and where's, you don't have to maintain it like you would be doing employees' email accounts. So it shouldn't be that complicated once you guys set it up that it's a rock solid environment. Right. So we're basically doing the maintaining on our end of the server and everything. So all you have to do is just send the email and it gets sent. So let's move from Core and Darkroom in their, if you will, brick and mortar. They haven't changed much in the years, the devices themselves. Let's talk about the big fad of 360 booths. Are they here to stay? Are they going to go? What do you think the longevity is? And, and from that subject of the 360 booths, which I remember seeing you working on the one at PBX back in 2020, let's talk about the challenges that a company like Darkroom Software has been faced with 
adding the file sizes of GIFs and or videos that are being generated by the apparatus or the camera that, that captures those 360s. Mm-hmm. Well, how long it's going to be or how big a hit it's going to be, I, I couldn't tell you. I don't have a crystal ball. <laughs> um, you know, It could be a fad. It could be something that's around for a long time. To be blunt and honest with you, you know, 15 years or so ago when photo booths first started, who would have thought they would have grown to what they are now? So you just never know. But well, um, well hang, on, hang on a second. I want to tell you something real, real quickly because you and I have both been in this game a long time. I've been in photography since the mid 80s. And I remember when I first got into it, I was actually in high school in late 70s and 80s. And my dad used to say to me, this reminds me of the photo booths we used to go to on the boardwalk in Coney Island. And I used to think to myself, those pictures we had of those movies, you know, the old movies on the Jersey Shore and in Brooklyn of the little photo booth, the curtain and putting in your nickel and you get your pictures out. And I used to think to myself back in the 80s, oh my God, photo booths have got to be the dumbest thing in the whole wide world. Well, guess what? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) What is it, a $6 billion industry now or $10 billion industry? Yeah, something like that. Photo booths have been around a long time, you know, even back to before digital when they were literally filmed that inside it, processing Well, even before Polaroid, there were photo booths that were literally processing film in the back, you know, inside the box. It had machinery that lifted and moved the film from tank to tank and processed it inside the booth. So, yeah, they've been around a long time. Somebody told me it's over 100 years since the original first mechanical film-based photo booth. And it's kind of funny about, you mentioned Polaroid. My daughter's 26, and she got married three years ago. Yeah, three years ago. And we were talking about, you know, at her wedding, what she wanted to have and everything. Now, keep in mind, my daughter's had a photo booth at every event in her life since she Yeah, <laughs> my kids too. I totally 11, get it. you know, just every time, her, every birthday party, every school function, I donated a photo booth. So she's had a photo booth at everything. So she wasn't really that keen on having a photo booth, although her fiance was like, yeah, we got to have a photo booth. But what she wanted at, at her wedding was the Fuji Instax cameras, the little. Oh, my God. You know, our kids are the same age. <laughs> our daughters are 26. My daughter was showing me three weeks ago. Look at this cool thing that Fuji's doing. And look at the new Polaroid version. Polaroid's got a new yeah. stackable wall mount camera. And I'm like, really? Your dad owns 20 photo booths and you want that? That's uh, what I thought. Yeah, you know, she but that's what she wanted. And so that's what we did. But, you know, they're just blown away and she just loves the spontaneity and the not knowing what it's going to look like till it comes out and develops, you know, so yeah, whatever. You just have to convince her that it costs money every time you push that button. It's not $2 like on your click. Phone. $2 oh, yeah. a click. Yeah. Fuji had a great idea with that. But, you know, that's one of those things that may be around for a while or it may disappear. Who knows? But back to your original point with the 360 yeah, 360s. One of the things that Darkroom Booth for Windows has built into it is the ability to control other things through fidgets and and other systems within the software. So one of the things we did at Photo Booth Expo last year, just before COVID, was we had a 360 booth set up and we had it all wired into Darkroom so that when you pressed start on the screen for Darkroom Booth, then the lights came on, the spinner started working and spun around and did all of that. And then, you know, it shut back down. Now, you mentioned file sizes. We used two different cameras last year at Photo Booth Expo that were loaned to us by Canon. One of them was the M50, the original M50, which I think is one of the greatest cameras for that type of work. It's an excellent quality. The file sizes, it's a 720p. Now, I know that's not the super high quality, but we'll talk about that in just a minute. But at 720p, the video looks great on your phone. It transfers great. It's not real high resolution, so the file sizes are so big. 
But after a couple of days of using the M50, we switched to the M6, which at the at that particular time did 1080p. So we doubled the resolution. File size is doubled. We did a day of that where it took longer to transfer, longer to process, longer to send. And it really didn't look any better on your phone because you're still looking at it at really you know small. And so we switched back to the M50 for the last day because it just worked a lot smoother. It's just a Great. lot better experience. So, you know, high resolution and file size isn't necessarily everything, but still. Now, are you talking SLR. about, I apologize for interrupting. Are we talking sure. about, because a lot of people, I talk about 360 booths, they get both on the consumer side and even on the, let's call it the prosumer photographer. There's a big argument about GIFs or about video and file sizes. So mm -hmm. 720 and 1080p, we're talking about video quality. And then are you a proponent of videos for 360s or are you a proponent for GIFs? Each has their place. There's a fundamental difference in the file format. First of all, GIF or GIF, depending on who you ask. <laughs> it's well, actually, again, you know that our 26-year-olds have such a big... It says if you look it up, it's pronounced GIF like... J-I-F. J-I-F, like the peanut butter. It says it, right. guy who invented it, it's a GIF, like Jiffy peanut butter. Right. The format for GIFs have been around for a long time, long, long years. And it was originally intended for websites, little flashy things that would pop up and, sure. and you know have some little motion to them. So the color range and the fluidity of a GIF are very low. They're intended to be that way on purpose. They've expanded over the years and gotten bigger and everything to the point where they're, you know, more, but still limited color range. The MPEG-4, which is a video format, you can get the same look, the same feel, but the MPEG-4 is a little different file size and has a higher color range. So the color looks better and more lifelike when you have people in it than, you know, if you're doing a little graphic that's just like a little cartoon or something moving, limited colors isn't a big problem. But if it's a human, a person that has skin and gradations to their skin and things like that, the video is going to look better. A number of the social media sites don't allow GIFs. Instagram is a big one. So you have to have an MP4 to upload to Instagram. Now, Darkroom Booth for Windows and also for iPad lets you choose. You can pick either one, and they both have advantages and disadvantages. And depending on what product you want to offer to your customer, you may just need to research a little bit about that, decide which one works best for and you. And on the video, can you adjust the frame rates, 12, 15, 20, 24? You can. Yes, you can do that. You can adjust frame rates. Darkroom offers, Darkroom for Windows offers two different types of what we refer to as animations. We don't call them GIFs because that can encompass a whole lot of things, but we call them animations. Two different kinds. One is where it takes like a regular photo strip, four, three, whatever photos independently. So the photo one, another countdown for three seconds, photo two, another countdown for three seconds, photo three, et cetera. And then it puts those together in an animation format, a GIF or an MP4. And it's jerky and you know that sort of look to it. Then the other one is what we call burst mode. The burst mode is a short little video clip that's taken, you know, with a video type camera, mostly digital SLRs, but a little short video clip that's maybe three or four or five seconds long. And then that is chopped up and some of the frames are removed and it's put back together and it makes the jerky animation feel. Now, big difference between the two is application. If you're doing something that requires speed and fluidity of motion, for example, if you've got a customer that's throwing glitter up in the air and it's raining down on them, that's not going to work very well with the three or four photos taken several seconds apart. 
the glitter is going to be on the floor by the time the second photo comes around. Sure. So the burst mode would work better for that because it's a short video and it gives the jerky look and everything. On the other hand, you know, other things might work better with the first mode, the, the regular mode. So you just have to kind of pick and choose which one. Darkroom Booth can do both, and you pick the one that works best for your particular application that you want to offer to your customer. So I'm going to get a little geeky here. I'm a photographer. I'm allowed to. Uh, let's come back to the M50, the M6 conversation and where we are now yeah. with mirrorless so much more popular than it was 18 months ago, COVID or no COVID. Without getting into like who cares which camera it is, let's talk about the transfer that you were running that. I remember because I was standing next to you about the wireless transfer rate of these videos going from that 360 booth to an apparatus because you're going to a Windows computer. You weren't going to, you weren't using an iPad, I guess is what I'm saying to you. Correct. And how you talk to somebody about how do you approach the, I'm going to use a DSLR of some sort, an M50, an M6, whatever they may be, and go wireless to my PC versus putting an iPad Pro or an iPad mini on the arm and letting the iPad do its job and the software's all in the iPad. How do you talk to that customer? You know, just the flexibility and the quality of the situation. We were using the M50. We were using Canon fisheye lens to get a little different effect. So with digital SLRs, you have a higher image quality. You have better lens selection. So you've got a lot of different things you can choose from to get a better quality product with lenses. iPads are great. I got one. iPhones are great. I got one. But that little tiny lens, that little tiny sensor is not going to compete with a digital SLR when used properly. So that's one of the things that I would point out to people. So if you want to offer a premium product that's different than the last guy, one of the things that really kind of honestly terrifies me as a photographer, and, and I've been doing this a long time, I photographed my first wedding in 1979, so that's a long time ago. But I always, well, old photographers would understand this. When I photographed weddings, I used Hasselblad with film. The reason for that was when I walked into a wedding, that was the camera that they took to the moon. That was the camera that everybody recognized from advertisements they saw on TV as the thing that separated pros from amateurs. And so when I walked into a room at a wedding, I wanted to establish from the very first moment I walked in that what they saw me carrying was a professional tool. It was not something that grandma had or that they, I've got one like that at home or I've got one like that right here. So that's why I used a Hasselblad. It didn't mean as a professional photographer, I couldn't produce a good quality product right. with a 35 millimeter camera. It was in part a way of establishing myself as a pro. I know what I'm doing. And so people would walk in and go, oh, wow, you have Hasselblad. You know, that, that's a nice camera. Yep, it is. So when I switched to digital in 2002, completely away from film and switched to digital in 2002, uh, looking for different cameras, looking for distant, different systems, trying to decide what I was going to go with, ultimately made the decision to go with Canon. And I bought the Canon 1D series, which was at that time the top of the line Canon made. And it was almost $6,000 for the body, but it was not, you know, just a little small digital camera, like now you see a digital Rebel or something. Didn't mean I couldn't do a good quality product with the digital Rebel, but it meant when I walked in the room, they saw me using the same kind of camera they saw on the sidelines at the Super Bowl or on the sidelines at a track meet at the Olympics or something like that. So it established me as knowing what I'm doing, I'm using the best quality equipment. Same thing applies to a photo booth. At least with a photo booth shell where the iPad is inside, they can't see what it is. They just see a screen. But with a spinner where you've got the phone or something spinning around, I just wonder how many people are going to go, oh, well, 
I have an iPhone. To use an iPhone, you have to get the software from the iPhone store. So let me see if I can find that same software. Oh, yeah, here it is. Now I can do the same thing they're doing. So using a digital SLR with a wireless transmitter and so on can establish you as a professional producing a professional product that's head and shoulders above somebody else with an iPad. iPads have a place, but I still think that there's a big place for digital SLRs too. You know, Wally, since you joined the Darkroom crew, you have absolutely been, I don't mean to float your boat that much, but I have always liked your demeanor and you just have a great smile to get the message across. And now finding out that we both shot our first weddings in 1979 and that we both walked into the room with a Hasselblad because why wouldn't you walk into a room with a Hasselblad? Because that's exactly. what pros I totally agree with you that when you see a DSLR on a photo booth, I think one of the things that helped my company grow to the size that it did is I approached photo booths like a photographer, not like a DJ who just bought a photo booth box. Um, I'm one of those guys that sets up a remote flash where possible and someone's not going to trip over it. I set up a remote flash on a stand or connect a magic arm to something that I can give a hair light to every one of my photo booth pictures because I know how to do that. And I, even though I now own a couple of iPad photo booths, I really, it's like fingernails on a chalkboard to me. I just don't feel like I have a hard time charging a premium dollar for something. As you said, well, I've got a photo, I've got an iPad and I've got an iPhone and I can stick it on an arm and I can do it myself. I completely agree with you. And I think it's about what we are as an industry continuing to strive to offer not just the cheapest product, but a great product at the right price, treated like professionals. And that's why we stay ahead of the curve. I really want to go into some more technical things. I feel like you and I could talk about this kind of stuff for hours and hours and hours. I would love to have you back on the show when you get more involved with the, uh, when the email server is up and running and new additions to Darkroom Software. I think the majority of our listeners are very invested in Darkroom Software, and I know they would appreciate that as well. The How to Photo Booth podcast is relatively new. We are trying to help the industry. We are also cross-pollinating with our Visual Wow podcast, which is geared more towards event producers and the event production side of things. And I think you have touched on things that are really important to both industries. And again, I really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy guy. And I suspect, uh, what is it, February 21 through 24, we will be seeing you in Las Vegas at PBX. Planning on being there. Yeah. Looking Uh, forward to it. Yeah. It's going to be a great time. It'll be great to see everybody face to face again. And to you and your colleagues there in Texas, we appreciate everything you've done for the industry. The Darkroom software has stayed on top of the game. And again, thanks for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate your time. Glad to be here. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to How to Photo Booth. Get our top five tips for photo booth success on our website, howtophotobooth.com. Leave us a five-star review and subscribe. For more info about the show, email jack at howtophotobooth.com.